Yeah, and it says here that uh, under the subtitle Strange Angel, Parsons' own religious and scientific pursuits have, pro have proven screenworthy. His life has recently recently been, been adapted in the CBS All Access series Strange Angel, based on the biography Strange Angel, the otherworldly life of rocket scientist John Whitehead, uh, White, Whiteside Parsons by George Pendle. Uh, and there, there's an interview about this. So this guy, <laughs> this guy, uh, even had a TV, uh, a TV series um, uh, uh, made about him. Well, Parsons was also the prototype for um, uh, the the Marvel character of Iron Man. So Parsons is Tony Stark. Yeah, I did not know that. Take a look at a picture. Well, I, the, the picture that you sent me. Yeah. Uh, oh no, no, no. That that's that was the uh, that was Ed Anger and or Kenneth Anger and and um, um, Kinsey. The, yeah. But if you look up a picture of Alan Par or, or Jack Parsons, by the way, Alan Parsons Project. Yeah. Also named after Jack Parsons. So um, <laughs> yeah. I mean the 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 influence of these occultists is pervasive. You just have to know where to look. So yeah, I I, uh, I have an image here of uh, Parsons. Yeah, he does kind of look like Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, especially in, <laughs> uh, the elder Tony Stark, not yes. uh, yeah, the, in the Iron Man uh, cinematic universe. So in other words, what you're saying is that okay, there's the Marvel CMU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what we're talking about here is then there is the Masonic Cinematic or the Masonic Industrial Universe. Oh, sure. It seems they're all linked. Yeah. I mean, it, you, it's, it's all based on these connections. Uh, does the name Helena Protrovna Blavatsky mean anything to you? Wait a minute. I do know that name. Who, uh, Helena Petrova Lovatsky. Uh, all right, uh, I give up. Who? She was the founder of Theosophy um, back in the early 1900s. Okay. Uh, the Theosophical Society, or it was actually established in New York in 1875, was yet another Masonic Rosicrucian uh, organization that was deeply connected to socialism and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, Blavatsky was a a medium. She was, you know, performing divination, all 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 that kind of stuff. Um, what's interesting is that she generated something. That she talked about these ascended masters that she called Mahatmas. Okay, the Mahatmas were really, really identical to Aleister Crowley's secret chiefs. Okay. Um, and of course, you know, she influenced Crowley, Crowley influenced, um, uh, L. Ron Hubbard and so forth and so forth. And, uh, you start, re uh, and then of course you get Crowley's, Crowley, uh, being a contemporary with, um, or Kenneth, Kenneth Anger, uh, Kenneth Anger, of course, influenced Martin Scorsese and David Lynch. Now I bring up David Lynch because he did a television series back in the early '90s called Twin Peaks. Do you remember that series? I, who doesn't remember uh, 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 Twin Peaks? What was her name? Laura. Laura Palmer. Laura Palmer, right? Killed mm -hmm. in the first episode. They think she's killed. No, she was killed. Okay. Um, but 
the series was really weird, and most people were watching it going, I don't understand what this is about. There's, It's just really bizarre stuff, right? It's There are people acting really quirky. I mean, the characters are extremely quirky, which is why the series is memorable. Um, but they had this weird mythos going around, and, and eventually you get to this idea that there's something called the White Lodge. And then there's an opposite lodge called the Black Lodge. Okay. I'm going to read you something about Helena Blavatsky's Mahatmas. They even belonged to the same Great White Lodge, which in Blavatsky's vision functioned as an inner government of the world. And they were opposed by the same evil Black Lodge. Okay. So Blavatsky talked about a White Lodge and a Black Lodge. Crowley talked about a White Lodge and a Black Lodge. David Lynch, who was influenced in, in various steps through this same vein, talked about a White Lodge and a Black Lodge in Twin Peaks. So do you see the connections that lead us to getting the uh, the user end? Okay, you want to talk about handlers. The entertainment industry is the handler for the culture. And... These influencers who start off with these bizarre religious ideas start selling those bizarre religious ideas to the public as entertainment. And those ideas permeate the culture. They permeate our mindsets. And because we have almost a, uh, an atheistic culture at this point, when you start flooding that atheism with these bizarre religious ideologies, they they plant little seeds. Now, somebody's not going to come right out and say, I watched Twin Peaks, and they had this idea of the, the Black Lodge <laughs> and the White Lodge, and so I believe in a Black Lodge and a White Lodge. It doesn't work that way, but it works in the form of a seed, and you start planting little ideas, and eventually those seeds take root, they grow, they develop, and now you have a crisis of identity where people start to fall into this mindset that, well, I can become whatever I want to be. I can be an animal if I want to be. Can be a I dog. Can be, I can be a dog. I can be a cat. I can uh, I can go and and have surgery that's going to transform me from one thing to another. Right. Okay. Those outcomes have a genesis, and the genesis is the occult mindset that was set by these other people 150 years ago. Absolutely incredible. You know, to see the stuff you learn here on the uh, Crusade Channel with Michael Hitchborn of the Lepanto Institute, we're talking about the Scientologists, the Masons, the outright Satanists, the occultists that seem to be at the uh, at the top of the pecking order, wherever it is we look. And if we look into the control mechanisms of politics and industrialism and what have you, and in various industries, well, they're all there as well. You know, back in 2017, I, I, I did a little five-part miniseries with a former NYPD police officer, Ralph Sarchi, who is the subject of a book called uh, Deliver Us From Evil. Um, and he sat in and he assisted many, 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 many exorcisms. Uh, he aided and assisted many people in his work as a uh, NYPD sergeant in combating uh, demons and dealing with contact objects and stuff. So we were trying to get to the uh, reopen the Amityville horror case. 
case and just kind of, kind of taking a fresh look at it. Uh, and one of the things that you find out if you start researching a little bit about Amityville, uh, what you ultimately will find out, Michael, is that Amityville is on Long Island. Long Island is home to Suffolk County. And what you'll find out is that Suffolk County is one of the most diabolical places on earth. Did you know that the movie Poltergeist came out of a case that was worked by, I want to, I'm not sure, Father Malachi Martin, I can't remember who worked it, but... Uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Okay, but it, the, 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 okay, Ed and Lorraine War, Warren worked the case, that's right. Um, but the, 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 the idea for Spielberg's Poltergeist came from a case that Ed and Lorraine Warren worked in Suffolk County. Yeah. Most people do not know that. Here's another one from the Deliver Us From Evil tapes. Now, all of you are going to want to go and listen to it at crusademax.com. Um, there was a guy whose name was Isaac Post. Isaac Post was a medium who claimed he could talk to the dead, and they could talk to everyone else through his writing hand. In other words, he would talk to the dead. He was left-handed. His left hand would start scrolling. By the way, what is the left hand called in Latin? Oh, oh. Sinestris. Uh, Sinestris. Yeah. Sinister. <laughs> Be suspicious of left-handed people. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Some people are left-handed. You go, ooh, dude. Dude, you're, you're a lefty. Stay away. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> through his writing hand, Post and his wife Amy took the famous occultists, the Fox sisters, into their home in 1848 and were soon converted to the evil practice of spiritualism. The practice of forming seance circles and talking to the dead, yep. which we know to be demons, passing themselves off as dead. The post-biography sums up their three-pronged uh, devotion to the occult practices of the day. Free thought, radical Quakerism, and spiritualism. All three shared a stance of opposition to the powerful Christian consensus of the day. The title page from Post 1852 book, which I actually got a copy of when I was researching this, reads, Voices from the Spirit World Being Communications from Many Spirits by the Hand of Isaac Post. So Post was having spiritualism circles all over Long Island and it even went down into northeastern uh, Pennsylvania. And um, there, there, there's more on this. And, and the, the thing that I, that I found as I, I was looking into this is that on in Suffolk County in Long Island, not only is there an ancient Indian burial ground there, which the Indians that are still alive insist they won't go anywhere near that thing. Mm. They insist that that place is, is cursed, basically. Okay? So, uh, you, you, you know, you fast forward as you go through time, and you find out that and you, you, and if, you, if you continue, and, and I'm going to make all of you go listen to Deliver Us From Evil Tapes, Episode 1, because I traced all this back, Michael, and it goes all the way through the development of the Ouija board. Oh, yeah. Passes through Suffolk County, Long Island in my story here. Uh, and of how all this. And then, yes, by the end of episode one of Deliver Us From Evil Tapes, yes, Alistair Crowley makes an appearance. So all of these things uh, seem to be linked. Does that make us, or, or they seem to be conspiratorial? I was going to ask, does that make this a conspiracy? Well, it, 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 by definition, it would. 
um, especially if the people were acting in concert with knowledge. That would be the definition of a conspiracy. Um, it doesn't make it theoretical if you have the receipts to show, yes, they were in concert. <laughs> yes, they have the same ideologies. Yes, they, they met and talked about these things, and they said that this is what they want to do. That's not a theory. No. That, that's evidence. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it does constitute a conspiracy of sorts. Um, did they foresee that they would have the influence that they do now? Mm -mm. Maybe not. Did they want to have that influence? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, how many, I'll, I'll never forget when I was in college back in the nineties, um, I got into a debate with some of my friends about the Vatican's document on religious freedom. Okay. And I was arguing against it and they were shocked. And I said, read what the document says. Let's let's go through it. And it, it, it says that it, it makes um, a case that uh, people should be free to hold and believe and practice the religion that they, they want. And I said, uh, now take that in conjunction with what the United States Constitution pr protects with religious freedom. Okay. Um, I said, this is a problem. And they said, what do you mean? I said – it gives people permission to worship the devil, does it not? I said, what happens when somebody, some devil worshiper stands up and says, we need to protect abortion as a constitutionally protected right because as a Satanist, abortion is one of our sacraments. I, and they said, well, that'll never happen. That'll never happen. It did. It's happening. So... Does that make what I said a conspiracy theory? Yep. No. <laughs> no, it's not a theory. No, it's not a theory. It's actually, uh, it happened. Um, right. It, your mutual friend of mine, uh, Carrie Gresser, got a new book out, the, the, the End of Woman. And in a chapter that I first got the story, do you know Paul Kangor? Yeah, I know who he is. Okay, first got the story from Paul Kangor in his book, The Devil and Karl Marx. Mm -hmm. In The Devil and Karl Marx, Kangor retells the story of how Kate Millett's sister, Kate Millett's sister, Kate Millett was one of the radical nutbag mother and founding, uh, founding anti-mothers or feminazis, as El Rushbo would call them, uh, modern feminism. And Kangor told the story, and he got it from uh, Kate Millett's sister, that in 1968, she went to Kate Millett's apartment in, in Manhattan, just decided to drop in her sister, who she hadn't seen for a while, and knew she had taken a turn for, uh, she was in with bad people. She rang the bell, and the sister says, come on up. She went up to the apartment, opened the door, and inside was a very long wooden table. There were 12 women that were sitting around, not 13, not 11, 12, sitting around the table completely naked. And there were there were daggers and knives and pentagrams scrawled in a uh, carved into the or, or chalked into the table. And lying in the center of the table was a very, very long python snake. That the women, uh, that uh, some of the 12 women had, uh, had, had each had a part of it, and some of them had their, their, their daggers in their hands, and Kate Millett told her sister, come on in and join us, sister. To which the sister, in horror, slammed the door and ran. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, what was Kate Millett, what were Kate Millett and her friends doing? They were doing a chant. 
And the chant went something to the effect of, what do we want? We want an end to the family. How are we going to get it? By destroying the, the, the by destroying marriage. How are we going to do that? By destroying intimacy. How are we going to do that? By basically creating uh, the, uh, the, the, the pornography or aiding and assisting the, por the porn industry. Um, now, it, it, it winds up in King Gore's book, The Devil and Karl Marx. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at, at, at the end of, of, of many of these uh, trails, the conspiracy trails or whatever you wish to call them or you know, kind of the data points that you trace back, you do trace a lot of them back to Marx. Yep. Um, that's unavoidable. <clears throat> uh, and it's just, you know, I, I, I hadn't even thought about Twin Peaks and, and Lynch. You know, who is to, to this day, he never did anything worth a crap after 10 weeks. After I don't know that Twin Peaks was worth a crap. I tried <laughs> to watch it, and I go, like, this it. is the most weirdo stuff ever yeah. served up. Yep, yep. Well, and uh, so you, you're, you're right about tying things back to Karl Marx, but even Karl Marx's connections to Freemasonry are indisputable. I mean— he got his instructions. He and and um, Friedrich Engels, Engels were contacted by Masonic lodges in England and commissioned by those Masonic lodges in England to write the Communist Manifesto. This didn't just pop up out of Karl Marx's head. This was something that they approached him with because he was already professing these ideas of of socialism and he was you know engaging in in uh, pushing socialism as an ideology, but they said, we need a manifesto and we want you to write it. And the Masonic lodges that got together to, to encourage him called themselves the council of the, the council of wise men. That was the, uh, the genesis of the communist manifesto. Not, ma it, not Masonic at all. No, uh, you're right. Right. Uh, but okay. So let's take that ideology of Freemasonry and, and walk it back a little bit. And it goes back to Aleister Crowley, or, or I'm sorry, to um, Adam Weishaupt, who was the founder of the Bavarian Illuminati in Bavaria, Germany. Okay, Aleister, or, or I keep saying Aleister Crowley, um, uh, Weishaupt, Adam Weishaupt was a Jesuit who apostatized. Uh, he he started to practice satanic rituals. In he became a Freemason, and he created what he called an inner circle of Freemasonry. And he he, he used his influence to recruit people to form the Illuminati. And the Illuminati then influenced Masonic lodges all over Europe. And the idea was to spread revolution to take down the kings of Europe. That was his aim. In, Mission accomplished. Yeah, well, what happened was, uh, I think it was in, um, uh, I can't remember which year it was, but uh, one of one of his couriers was carrying uh, basically all the documents to another lodge bloop, with the blueprint for taking down all of these monarchies in Europe, and uh, this courier was struck by lightning. So the, the Bavarian government found his body, they gathered up all the documents, they read all the documents, they were shocked, they Ill immediately made the Illuminati illegal, 
So all the Illuminati lodges in Bavaria were closed down. They spread these documents all over Europe saying, hey, this is a clear and present danger. And guess what happened? France didn't take it seriously. And in France, the Illuminati changed its name to Jacobin. So this is where we get, you know, I've always often wondered where the term Jacobin came from. Yeah, I don't know what it means, but um, the Illuminati changed its name to Jacobin. So the Jacobins, who were the, the front runners for the French Revolution, got their start in the Illuminati. So, you know, people say Illuminati, oh, it's some sort of secret shadow. Oh, no, 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 it's real. It's real. It was founded by a real man who was a Jesuit who did these horrible things, and we have the receipts and documents to prove it. uh, Um, Every year on the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker, I play uh, that wonderful sermon by Father Hendricks mm. on the feast on the 1st of May, 1776. A man named Adam Weishaupt created a group called the Illuminati. <laughs> I don't know if you know Father Hendricks, but that's how he talks. And funny. He, uh, he, he actually talks like that. <laughs> uh, but, he, but he tells the story of, of, of Weishaupt and what he was doing, and he gives the seven planks that the Illuminati were founded upon, and that was with the destruction of the family. Now, folks, if, you, if you're listening to this or you're catching this as a new Christian on Daily podcast and you're going like, I don't believe you guys. You sound like smart, intelligent people. Why are you so whacked out of your gourds and talking about this stuff? Man, this, this is fantastical stuff. Well, it is fantastical stuff, but understand the term. Okay, just let's just deal with a couple of terms. Science fiction. Science fiction basically does not exist as you know it today. It's not even a term. You know, as a matter of fact, I want to say, I, oh gosh, I did a research on this. I did a, a piece on this once upon a time. The term science fiction wasn't even coined until, I want to say, it was the 1950s or so. Uh, but the genre that, that it is what you call sci-fi or science fiction today is a predominantly post-World War II Phenomena. Yep. And as Bishop Sheen says in that homily that you can now get at crusademax.com, Sheen traces the, 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 the modern, the root of modern moral corruption and the end of Catholic social moral teaching. Uh, he traces it to one day. And he says 1045 a.m. on the morning of August the 6th, 1945, when the Hiroshima bomb was detonated and the line was blurred between combatant and civilian, religious and otherwise. Sheen says that's the moment. Well, I think that Sheen is correct. And I I believe that what was unleashed at that time, you know, if you could convince the American people that they ought to be for the vaporization of 75,000 people in a nanosecond, and they can actually find a way to justify that on a civil, uh, on a a civilian population in their mind, you can convince them of anything. And we pretty much did. And this is when the era of uh, science fiction just really, really starts um, sort of kicking into high gear here. Look at the people that are successful and that are the names that everyone knows when it, when it comes to the genre uh, uh, of science fiction. You know, the only one 
uh, are, are one of the few that uh, that I know that is that, that, that I and I don't know that he's one of them is the guy that uh, Dean Koontz. Dean Koontz wrote the book Odd Thomas. Koontz is a cradle Catholic and uh, wanted to write a book about uh, demons actually appearing in plain sight amongst real people, uh, but only certain people could see them. And so he wrote the book Odd Thomas. He ultimately turned into a movie. And it's well worth everyone watching Odd Thomas because it kind of shows how they work in the background here. So all that Michael and I have been talking about here today, the reason that we that we do the due diligence on it um, is just to, to, to trace this back and to show people, look, there are evil forces that are at work. They're not little green men. They're, they're, they're demons impersonating little green men. But at every stage, you can find that there is always an attachment to the occult. There always is. And there is almost always also an attachment to, to, to just straight-up Satanism. And, uh, you know, what's called black magic or, 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 or the practice of black masses and what have you here. Are these things rela related? I think you'd have to be a fool to conclude anything else, anything other than that, yes, of course they're all related. I completely agree. And that's why we bring them up. So you want to, well, how are we going to beat the bad guys? We're going to get the right guys elected. Elections aren't going to matter unless you're electing saints. The way you beat the bad guys is to identify the enemy, not become one of them, and do spiritual warfare, vow that you will do spiritual warfare against them, which is pretty much what we just did in the last hour. Yep. And to prepare all of you for uh, for uh, for spiritual welfare. Go read Paul Thickman's books. Paul's been writing, and Dr. Thickman's been writing about this stuff for three decades now. You know, there are all manner of, uh, of things that you can gird your loins with. You know, I want to go, I want to I finish up with this study of, of Thelema. And you and I, you need to do another show on this. Because I, until you said it today, I had never heard of it. So in this piece from the supercluster about the uh, JPL, the Jet, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and um, uh, uh, the, this Parsons guy and L. Ron Hubbard, <laughs> soon, uh, this is how they got together, soon Parsons and Hubbard were, well, they, basically they were united by Thelema. Yes. So they met in satanic worship through Aleister Crowley and others practicing this thing called Thelema. Soon Parsons and Hubbard were completely enveloped by Thelema. They embarked on Operation Babylon Working, a series of rituals and experiments intended to incarnate the Thelemite goddess Babylon in the earthly realm. Now, now folks, does any of this sound productive and healthy? Because <laughs> it doesn't to me. One of these rituals included Parsons, well, doing a sex act, on the magical tablets to Prokofiev's second violin concerto, while Hubbard took notes and explored the astral plane. Another involved Parsons and Hubbard impregnating an anonymous woman somewhere on Earth through immaculate conception with a magical child who had become Thelema's messianic embodiment of Babylon. Now, by the way, all of this makes its way into popular Hollywood fiction, the first instance of which is what? Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm. So all of this becomes... Now, if you're wondering, whoa, 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 whoa. Where are the tales 
of women being impregnated by a, an incubus or whatever, or by Satan himself, uh, prior to the modern age, prior to the post-World War II. Well, they don't exist. They're not out there. Because these two clowns had to bring it into existence. Um, in Parsons' case, these experiments would result in another case of successful manifestation or confirmation bias. Uh, he and L. Ron went out into the middle of the, de of the desert to this magical place where power lines crossed. And who knows what they were doing, says uh, the biographer Hyman. Uh, Parsons had this vision of like this red-haired woman, Lady Babylon, riding a beast. He was convinced that this was the person he was meant to end up with. And after three days of trying to summon Lady Babylon so they could birth the Antichrist, Marjorie Cameron, this vividly red-haired woman, was waiting for them at the parsonage looking for a place to stay. This, uh, this, there was uh, this crazy thing he was trying to manifest in reality, and reality ended up manifesting it. Uh, then things got too freaky even for Aleister Crowley. Yeah. <laughs> of the duo's experiments, Crowley remarked that he felt fairly frantic when I contemplate the idiocy of, those, of these louts. Uh, and, of course, uh, this all ends with uh, with Parsons blowing himself up with rocket fuel, as you said, in a um, uh, in a uh, in, in a uh, in an apartment somewhere. Another little twist on this is that Parsons began to work on the Navajo missile program at North American Aviation in Inglewood. His stint there was short-lived. After the second Red Scare, the House uh, of Un-American Activities stripped Parsons of his security clearance due to his sexual perversions. So tail gunner Joe McCarthy was on to this guy, and he was on to all this. Yep. Wow. Yep. Unbelievable. Dude, we got to do more on this. <laughs> I'm going I'm to leave, leave you with one more that's going to blow your mind. Please do. Okay, so Aleister Crowley, another set of connections that he has, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Bram Stoker, Sac, uh, Sax Romer, who was the creator of the Fu Manchu character, Okay. Uh, William Butler Yeats, the poet, Okay. and a whole bunch of others. They were all members of the occultic secret society, Freemasonic, called... The Order of the Golden Dawn. Order of the Golden Dawn. Yep. All right, we're going to have to pick up on this. <laughs> uh, I could tell you, and he's probably listening actually, I could tell you as a tale that my wife and I were told when we were in England by uh, a very accomplished English uh, author, and writer, uh, uh, we were told this this story uh, about Bram Stoker and uh, about Dracula. Mm -hmm. Now, most people don't know. They think that Bram Stoker was this guy that was raised uh, and educated at Trinity College or something and, you know, was a star pupil, pupil and everyone knew that he was going to go on to, you know, to, to become the fiction writer of his day and <laughs> this and that, the other. Nothing could be further from the truth. Bram Stoker was none of those things. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, at the time of Dracula, he's basically an, an understudy at a theater production. I can't remember what it is. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
is the Dracula character that Bram Stoker creates, which is very human, extraordinarily human, mm-hmm. is the character that Bram Stoker creates a fictional creation, or does Bram Stoker know something that the rest of us don't know? Or does Bram Stoker know someone that the rest of us don't know? And has he seen or has he been told that there are certain things that this particular being can do that no one would ever believe? And so uh, Stoker says, well, since no one will ever believe it, then I'll, I'll write it as a fiction. Uh, and there is evidence for this, actually. The, uh, 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 you know what? I'm going I'm to leave everyone hanging. Why are you giving me the mug, Tommy? What was that for? Because you're so close. <laughs> I'm not giving it away. I ain't giving it up. You're going to have to listen. Uh, there, is the, 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 there is a reason for this. And Dracula, the character... Now, now, Dracula does exist. He does predate uh, Stoker. Yeah, people Vlad know Tepish. of Dracula. Vlad Tepish. Stoker turns him into this... Well, you know, and then another name you can add into this list, and I'm not sure what his connection is, Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Coppola turns in, uh, Coppola takes the Stoker novel and does a pretty good treatment of actually what Stoker uh, conceived of as Dracula, which is why most people find uh, Coppola's Dracula film with Gary Oldman, how many people knew what a great actor Gary Oldman would turn out to be, with Gary Oldman as Count Dracula or as Vlad, uh, very few people uh, uh, liked or enjoyed uh, Coppola's send-up of Dracula. The main reason is, is because Coppola was basically working the book. He worked the book. Most people that read Dracula in the book are like, oh, this is boring as hell. <laughs> Why is it so long? And this and that. And the other. Well, there's a reason for all that. Look, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, I had no idea that our little conversation here was going to uh, w- was going to be so expansive and so exciting. And I hope the audience is excited about it, too, because we can continue this. Uh, Michael and I have delved into some really creepy stuff over the years. <laughs> this may be the creepiest. Uh, and, and by the way, you know, we can do our... Uh, Hitchburn and Church's cinematic universe too, because you and I did a show about the movie, the the movie series Aliens. Oh yeah, and uh, uh, about the high level Freemason or Scientologist, whatever he is, Ridley Scott. Well, and also the uh, the occultist um, H.R. Geiger. H.R. Geiger. Yes, yeah. that see, folks. The cinematic or, or the, 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 the the demonatic universe of Hitchburn and Church here. Um, this is great stuff. I'm going to make sure this, podcast, this, this gets out as a free podcast today. All right. Support Michael Hitchburn's actual work <laughs> that he actually does, <laughs> which is reported on really bad Catholic charities and why it matters to all Catholics at L-E-P-A-N-T-O-I-N dot org. Lepanto I-N dot org. Um, I'm going to put a little uh, uh, a little syllabus together, if you will, for, the, for uh, our next conversation. Um, and we can continue on this. And, of course, we can talk about all the work that you're doing with the CC and your latest report and all that can be found on the website at L-E-P-A-N-T-O Lepanto 
www.ifin.org. Sign up for the email list while you're there and be notified of all this. Um, uh, brother, thank you very much. What a great episode. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, this, I love diving into the original research I was doing when I started researching my thesis in college. So this is this is fun for me. Should have read a book. Uh, there are plenty of books about these topics out there. I just kind of remember <laughs> everything as I go along. Well, I tell you what, great radio stuff. Really, really good radio stuff. Uh, well, if not sooner, we'll see you in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, God bless you and your family and all the work that you do, brother. Absolutely, you too, and God bless you. God bless your audience. All right, thank you very much. That's uh, Michael Hitchborn of the Lepanto Institute, L-E-P-A-N-T-O-I-N.org. People never thought. <laughs> when I broached the subject of Scientology earlier in, Craw in Crawford's piece, I knew that, Mike, that Michael was coming on. And I, so I messaged him. I go, hey, man, hey, bro, you interested in doing a little Scientology Freemason? He goes, uh, uh, what, what did he tell me? <laughs> he said, basically, sign me up. Yeah, yeah. Ready to go. Roger Dodgers, what he said.